curiosity mm -hmm. is definitely normal, but that kind of, that crosses personal boundaries. And yes. I think it kind of gave me that feeling of, okay, am I on display or, you know, a little invasion of my personal space. Yeah. Or I, I often got, and this would also be considered another microaggression is you're so articulate or you don't sound black, which sound the, you're so articulate sounds like a compliment, but it's actually offensive because it implies that my intelligence is a surprise. Well, hey, welcome back. That is our guest, Brianna Clover. You guys, it's such a joy to have Brianna with us today. This episode was a long time coming. And if you heard a few episodes back when we asked for your questions for Brianna, you hopefully heard that. So Brianna joins us today to talk about race in the workplace. And for so many, this might be the first time that the conversation is taking place. And for others, it's certainly not the first. We want to speak to all young professionals, young professionals specifically that are people of color. And Brianna has some amazing encouragement along with a ton of applications for all young professionals. So I'm going to get right to it as Brianna shares with us a little bit about her story. So here's our guest, Brianna Clover. First of all, welcome officially to the Sharpen podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Kirby. I'm so glad to have you. It's been so fun connecting with you and, and learning more about you and your work. So for those that are meeting you for the very first time today, Brianna, tell them a little bit about who you are and then share more about the work that you've done and the, the work that you're doing. Yeah, I would love to start there. So I grew up in Michigan and I grew up in a biracial family. So my mother was white and she was fr she's from Michigan originally. Her father was a farmhand, and so she was born and raised in Michigan. And my father is Black, and he was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I am the sibling, the oldest of three siblings. Okay. So it may not come to, as a surprise for those Enneagram fans out there, but I'm an Enneagram one, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and um, I've just recently actually started looking into Enneagram. It just is so okay, fascinating cool. to me. And one of the, the ways that I've come across that they describe Enneagram one's wings, wing, Enneagram one's wing two are the activist. Mm, yes. And yes. many of the characteristics of Enneagram one describe me almost to a T, mm. um, some embarrassingly so, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, but the justice aspect, I think, really speaks to who I am and always have been since I can remember. As a oh, child. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. So as a child, that like surfaced in, in your childhood. Oh, totally. Cool. Totally. And like, I might not have been able to recognize it at that time. Sure. But when I was yeah. doing some reflecting back, I'm like, okay, yeah, like this this makes sense. You know, I can roll with this. This Enneagram type one, that's me. I remember as a child too, like visiting my granny and my grandman. So those are my father's parents mm -hmm. and all of his siblings, there were nine of them total, total. And they were all storytellers. So I would hear all kinds of crazy stories from their childhood. And many of them connected, honestly, to looking back at it, to their racial identity and experience living in Detroit in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And while most of their stories were just hilarious and just so engaging, and as a young child, you know, I probably didn't get or understand half of what they were talking about, but I was compelled, like I was compelled to listen. But some of them were serious. And I remember particularly my dad sharing a story about it was right after the 1968 riot. And that was right after the assassination of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And in Detroit, there was a curfew. So you were not allowed to be out past a certain time. And he remembered 
being in the car with his father and a police officer pulling them over because they were out a couple minutes past curfew. They were driving home from his cousin's house, pulled over by a police officer with a gun and pointed a gun at my grandman's head. This is really like visiting family is the only time really my dad's family where I heard stories from my dad's past. And I hope I'm not getting too off course. I just like love sharing this. So at home, Growing up near Michigan State's campus, Michigan State University, go green, go white, race wasn't really a common topic of discussion at my parents, like in the home. And if you were to ask my parents today, they would tell you that they thought that they were doing what was best. They bought a house they could barely afford in a, I'm putting quotations, good neighborhood. They wanted us to go to, in quotations, good schools. They wanted us to have opportunities that my father had to work extra hard to, to achieve as a black man. And as a result of that, I grew up in predominantly white spaces. So I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, worshiped at an all white church. My dad was the only black person in church. I went to a predominantly white school. So to be honest, like for most of my life, I felt pretty comfortable in white spaces. Um, but it wasn't until like high school when I started to connect the dots about my experiences as a biracial young woman. And I began to consciously recognize that race did make a difference in people's experiences mm-hmm. and that people didn't always really know what to do with me, the, the biracial mm-hmm. girl in class. And I couldn't really put a name, like I couldn't really name that at the time. Right. Right. So fast because you're forward, a high schooler. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. You know, and like, we're all just learning about ourselves and yes. there's so much in the world we don't quite understand. I mean, there's so much in the world I still don't understand in my thirties, mm-hmm. but fast forward now to my thirties, I'm married an Indiana man. We adopted our first fur baby in 2014, right before we got married. And we now have a son, a, a, he just turned two years old, Emmett. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, our household now is full of adventures these days. <laughs> um, yeah. But but yeah, so I would say that's a part of that's who I define myself as too now as a mother raising a child that I want to be conscious of things in the world that are always easy to address or uh, to understand as a young child just based on my experience. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, thank you first for sharing that. It's so, I bet for your family too, like you talk about having that somewhat like family legacy of like storytellers. I bet it's so cool for them to be like, especially the work that, that you're doing, which is a component of that storytelling mm-hmm. in the way that you approach your work. So I bet for them, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so cool to think about like how your childhood, you know, framed up even. Yeah. I just always think that that's such a rich part of how we grew up. But thank you for sharing that. Tell us a little bit about the work that you've been a part of and then the work that you're doing now. Yeah. So not to belabor the Enneagram type. Uh, no, we love the Enneagram. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so when I accidentally discovered uh, the animal health and nutrition in ag mm-hmm. industry, it makes sense now that I reflect back that mm-hmm. my decision to dive into this industry was an easy one because for the first time I was learning um, and fully appreciating farmers and I, you know, how they are great stewards of the land and mm-hmm. that they're often misrepresented in media or from the perspective of everyday consumers. So really that's honestly what drew me to the industry. I don't have an ag background and and that's far removed um, generationally in my family. So I've spent over 12 years in the animal, working various strategic marketing roles in animal health. So I started my career out at Alanco and I've had experience in a couple other companies and just recently left an animal nutrition company to pursue this work of, of racial equity, 
or bringing a race equity lens into diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and conversation. And I think really it's my lived experience as a Black woman working in agribusiness that really has cultivated within me an intense passion for creating, I, I always say, creating brave spaces to have mm. tough conversations about race in the workplace. And I use brave intentionally too. Yeah. I just want to put a plug here because I think safe spaces, there really is not such thing as a safe space. I feel like saying brave space recognizes that some spaces aren't safe for mm. Black, Indigenous, or people of color. And that sometimes safe space for white people is a space where they're comfortable, where they stay comfortable. And let's just be real that the topic of race is not comfortable for anybody. Right. It right. doesn't necessarily feel safe as we probably naturally define safe. And I actually took brave space. It's not my idea. It's um, after re reading a poem by uh, Mickey, I'm trying to remember, Mickey Scott Bay, Scott Bay Jones. Okay. Um, she has a poem. Story. Yeah. It's called okay. An Invitation to Brave Space. Yeah. Two months ago, finally made the, the move from a comfortable corporate job to really pursue in a more full-time my passion around this race equity lens. And so I started 1619 Consulting. And uh, I chose 1619 Consulting because 1619 is the year that the first ship came to the shores of Virginia and on it had about 20 enslaved Africans. And so it really marks the foundation and the origins of our country mm -hmm. that were founded on the enslavement of Africans and the genocide of Native Americans. So, and why I chose that name was because I believe that any conversation about race, even in the workplace, we have to understand the historical context because we can't solve a problem that we don't mm. understand. Yeah. And um, for most of us who, especially in the public school system, so I'll speak to public school system because that's, I attended or went to school in a public school system. We're not always taught the full truth or all of the truth. And so a lot of that history is left out of the textbooks. Yeah. Um, and there's reasons for that. So I think it, we do have to kind of go back and learn. Uh, and, and that history is very relevant to the disparities that we see today. And I think it's just important to kind of ground all of us on that. So that kind of gives you a little history on the 1619 Consulting. Mm -hmm. well, such a such a thoughtful name. I know we usually sometimes will ask at the end of, you know, tell us about where people can find you in your, your work, but I'm just going to jump completely ahead. So um, 1619 Consulting's Instagram page has been just so like thoughtfully done and, and you guys have some really great content there. So for those that are listening, we'll be sure to include the notes. I remember when you shared the background of why um, you named the, yeah. the business, the name. And so it's a really neat post. So folks will need to go and check that out. So uh, Brianna, you've shared um, about, um, you know, your story growing up and some of those professional experiences. Uh, the folks that listen to our podcast are in that first 10 years of a career. And so mm -hmm. I would just love to hear from you. You know, you referenced having different roles and being part of different organizations, but, and I know you're sharing for you individually, but tell us a little bit about your experience as that young professional in that first 10 years mm -hmm. as a person of color. And, and if there's anything to you that um, that would serve as an encouragement today for our audience. We'd just love to hear that from you as well. Yeah, sure. would love to share. Um, 
so I, I feel like I want to address one thing. I don't mean to get too teachy here, but um, one term that I, I use a lot in, in training and education mm -hmm. around just terminology is colorism. Mm -hmm. And it essentially, I don't even know if it's an official, like, I don't know if you can find it in the dictionary, but it is essentially, um, in a nutshell, based on our society and the history of racism and the devaluation of black and brown people in America, that skin tone has, uh, and there's studies on this, has a direct impact on people's opportunity. And so it's not just a black and white issue. And I say that just yeah. because I am biracial and, mm -hmm. and so my skin, I, I just want to caveat what I'm sharing my experience there. All of our experiences are valid, yeah. but you know, black people are not a monolith. And, and my experience as a lighter skinned black person is probably a lot different than um, a darker skinned person of color in, in the workplace. So, cause I, I do want to speak and share, and I think storytelling is so important, but I also mm -hmm. don't ever want to come across as like my story is everyone's story. And I know yes. it probably seems obvious, but I just wanted to share that. Um, Thank you for that. Super. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess my first experience was when I graduated. My first job was based in Texas and I was going to be calling on uh, driving in rural parts of Texas. Mm -hmm. And my dad said, before I moved, he gave me a list of the towns not to stop for gas in. And honestly, this is the only conversation I can remember with my dad that implied a potential lack of safety because of my skin color. So that was like my first, oh, okay, um, I'm going out on my own and these are the towns not to stop in for gas. Okay, didn't, and honestly, I knew that there were still KKK in the US, but I don't think I actually tangibly it, it seemed in my face more than, I mean, I knew I was educated about that, but I was like, oh, wow, there are still people that believe in, in white superiority to the point of being violent against people mm -hmm. of color. So that was my first experience just before getting in into the job. Honestly, a lot of my experiences are microaggressions, little things like that. So I, I you know, some former colleagues who, I mean, are friends saying, is this your real hair or can I touch your hair? And I think like curiosity mm -hmm. is definitely normal, but that kind of, that crosses personal boundaries. And yes. I think it kind of gave me that feeling of, okay, am I on display or, you know, a little invasion of my personal space. Yeah. Or I, I often got, and this would also be considered another microaggression is you're so articulate or you don't sound black, which sound the, you're so articulate sounds like a compliment, but it's actually offensive because it implies that my intelligence is a surprise. And I think one that I noticed with my customers, because I've got to say my first couple of years out in the real world calling on customers, I had the time of my life. My customers taught me so much for the most part, they wanted to teach me the ropes. I was out visiting farms, really getting my hands dirty. And I noticed that the only time I saw black and brown people were when I visited processing plants. I never saw black or brown people as management level or you know, customers I was calling on. And there would be comments sometimes that my customers would have, and they would always preface the comments with no offense you're different what was so that like so how did I mean you're you know you're like in the first 
gosh, few years of a career. And I don't know about you, but that, that stage is just so, um, like you mentioned the growth you're experiencing, learning in the field and everything, but you know, how are you processing that? And yeah, take us back to that time. What was that like as a young professional when those moments were addressed? They made me uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but if I'm being honest, I was more concerned with saving face with my customers or being Mm -hmm. seen as easygoing, respectful, I think I was already kind of breaking boundaries as a black young woman moving to Texas, calling on customers, you know? So I was very sensitive to not giving my customers a reason to dislike me Mm. because I was concerned about my success in my role. So not that I say that proudly, but I think I just, that is the reality of it. Like in that moment. So I never took the time to really name it or to really, and I don't want to use the word dwell, but think about it. So it didn't make me feel great, but it wasn't until honestly, I was older when I was reflecting back on my experience and thinking through like, why am I so passionate about doing this work? Yes. Because then I really kind of unpacked that a little bit more, mm, I guess. Yeah. 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 What, what's your, I love, um, I'm going to look up the poem that you mentioned, an invitation to brave spaces. I believe, hopefully I got that correct. In yeah. my, notes. my husband gives me a hard time about like, my notes are not notes. They're like Kirby calligraphy. So, <laughs> um, but you called that, yeah, instead of safe spaces, brave spaces. So what would be your encouragement to our young professionals that are listening um, that are people of color? And yeah, that like when you're talking about, oh man, I just, I'm, breaking through these barriers and I want to be successful. And so like, what's the encouragement there to pursue those brave spaces yeah. while also, you know, breaking through the barriers, maybe in, in an organization and maybe not um, yeah. in, in pursuing that success. So um, people of color, is that the kind of, first, yes, like, what correct. Would be my, yeah. What's your encouragement yeah. to our young professionals that are people yeah. of color? Um not to underestimate the importance of finding spaces where your blackness has value. Hmm. And that's sometimes hard to find. If yeah. I'm being honest in ag, in ag business, it's really hard to find. Yes. Um, so that might be inside or outside of work. But I think if looking back, I would have more proactively found other people of color in the organization right away and just made those networks and found spaces that we could talk about our shared experiences, join networking and mentorship programs that really focused on uplifting and giving voices to people of color. Mm. That'd be my first advice is like, find spaces where your blackness has value. The second one, which I hope this comes across the way I intend it, but it's your job isn't to educate white people. And yeah, just to remove or lift Mm. that burden. Like that's not a burden for people of color. And some of us have a role. We see ourselves playing a role in that and that's important. But I think about, and I don't, I I don't also want to come across as saying that these listening sessions, you know, a lot of corporations doing these listening sessions are ill-intentioned or all um, have a negative impact. But essentially, like if we think about Like if that organization that's having that listening session is not a safe space for people of color, like if people of color have already experienced microaggressions or shared an experience they had and it was dismissed by a white colleague or whatever that is, 
it's pretty likely that having a listening session where they're being asked to share their experiences isn't a safe space for them if it hadn't traditionally been. So sometimes I think while good intentions that we put that burden on people of color to be open and vulnerable sharing their experiences and we're not rewarding. It's not like we're paying yeah. them for that. Right. Like that is a job. We pay thousands of dollars to consultants and experts to come in and talk about things and we're not compensating our and, and maybe they are, I guess I can't make a blanket statement there, but. Right. But we're probably assuming that that's yeah. not the case. Yeah. 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 So that would be my second one is just being that confident that it's not your job as a person of color to educate. Well, thank you for, I, I think that that's so, gosh, it's so true and so helpful, especially for, for our audience that's listening, because I think some of the feedback and, and you and I, when we first connected, I share, you know, just friends that are people of color, like, oh, it's, this is tiring. Like to your point, this is not, you know, they're like, my daytime job is to run the marketing organization, not to... And I'm, I'm so glad to engage, but like to your point, then what are you taking off someone's plate or how are you compensating yeah. or, and then also to the point around, like, I think just culture of, you can't just mm-hmm. assume that every safe, every place is a safe space. So I, I, uh, I told you and then our listeners know that in the last episode we said, Hey, you know, this is, this can feel like a, a hard conversation. Like you said, this is not the, the easiest conversation to talk about racial inequality in the workplace. What is so encouraging to me is that for young professionals, it's like, this is the conversation that so many, they may be having for the first time. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, I feel like my eyes have been opened and I actually feel really silly that they, that they are, feel so naive. Others are like, no, I just, this isn't the first time. And so that I've had this conversation, but it, what it boils down to, Brianna, is folks will say like, where do I begin? Mm-hmm. And how do I take action. What does action even look like? Like what's my role in that? But especially when you're like the new guy or the new gal, you know, I'm the youngest person. What will they, even to reference like your own experience where you're like, Oh, like how do I still, you know, fit in with my people or Mm -hmm. fill in the blank. So that's somewhat of a multifaceted question, but I would love your, your thoughts and your feedback around that. First of all, I want to say, or just validate the overwhelming feeling like it is. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like there's so many resources out there and access Mm -hmm. to information, but it is hard to know where to start. One thing I always start with is just this concept that all of us actually should be, no matter what race we are, is positionality. And that's a concept that um, I'm not honestly sure who coined that uh, concept, but it's that our perspectives are based on our place in society. So it recognizes that where you stand in relation to others shapes what you can see and understand. So for example, if I'm considered an able-bodied person, which mm-hmm. I, I am considered an able-bodied person, my position in a society that devalues people with disabilities limits my understanding of people with disability space. Mm-hmm. And I simply won't see them most of the time because in large part, I don't have to because I'm an able-bodied person. So the first piece of advice, I think, just just as we move through the world, the dynamics and the complexities of the workplace especially, is to understand your positionality and be aware of that, like when you're in a room. So if you're you're a white person in a room and there's, you know, 95% white people and 5% people of color, can you be conscious of, are their ideas being brought up? Are their ideas being responded to? Or are they being interrupted? Or have they spoken up yet? And can I, and I think that's part of like being a, um, 
an ally is to recognize your positionality and then to just be conscious of it as you move throughout the world. So that would be one thing. I think the other thing which I find for young professionals, like there's like, you still have this like sense of curiosity, right? And so I just like want to encourage that and not to lose that curiosity and, and let that curiosity drive your responsibility um, for your own knowledge. So be responsible for your own knowledge. Like there are a lot of resources out there. Make sure that you're looking at resources that are written by people of color, that you're not only looking at, at resources that are written by white people. Um, yeah, just be curious and, to, and be responsible for your own knowledge. And I think finally too, which I can't claim to be an expert because I, I honestly, I don't know, like it's hard to say this is the best practice, but when you're interviewing for jobs or you're trying to find if a company is a right fit, ask questions about the company's culture around diversity, equity, inclusion, and what are their policies? Because I think you can tell pretty quickly whether or not race equity is built into the DNA of a workplace culture just by looking at their leadership. So is there racial diversity? But then also, if they're asked about that and you can't easily find them on the company's website or they're very generic and not yet tangible or they don't mention race at all. I just think the act of being aware of that and asking questions is something I would just continue to encourage. I never would have thought of that, Brianna. You've given us some great examples. Be responsible for your own knowledge. I, I, I wrote that down because I think that that is such a, such a takeaway. And you mentioned some really great resources that exist. So I love that, you know, we always try to bring practical applications to yeah. our audience. And so you gave a great one there too, especially of going through the interview process and some of the questions or specifics back to the resources that exist and being responsible for your own knowledge. I'm going to say, I'm going to reference all of our audience to not only your Instagram account, which provides resources and content in a very Instagram way. So really, yeah, image rich, but also tell us about your podcast. And then along with that, in order to pursue that, like of being responsible for your own knowledge, any other resources that you would like to mention, but highlight your podcast because that's brand new. And we're so excited. Yeah. Thank you. Really excited to enter the podcast world. Yes. I'm going to be taking notes from, from how you run your podcast. Uh, but a partner, yeah. <laughs> it feels very natural. It's really Good. easy to talk. So thank you Likewise. for creating a brave space to talk about this today. So my partner, Dr. Jessica Petty, and I started about a month or so ago, Lunch and Unlearn. And it's a podcast um, you can find on Apple or Spotify. And we really it's just a dialogue between us two. Like for the longest time we would be on the phone call on the phone talking about what's going on in the country. And just, she's very passionate about mentorship and gender equity and the intersectionality of gender and race. And she's done her dissertation on mentorship, I think particularly in animal health. So her expertise and uh, my expertise combined just seem like a perfect fit. So we talk about everything from the terminology to use when you're talking about equity and race equity in the workplace. Um, why is race so hard to talk about in the workplace? The importance of intersectionality. So all the topics we probably have covered them or plan to cover on mm -hmm. our long list of future podcast topics. 
Oh that's man, it. that's such a great resource. And thank you all for, for yeah. doing the work. I mean, you, uh, you know, from all the content creation, I'm sure you're doing where there's great resources for sure. And how you're approaching it is to, whether it's podcast episodes or you've all these different ways that you're providing this content, but man, it's a whole heck of a lot of work. So thank you for, yeah. for what you're doing. Yeah. I'd love to do it. Love to do yeah. it. I know, speaking of your work, I, you know, I've heard you, especially, you know, in, in ag and in our uh, similar like worlds of ag, we use that word uh, grassroots. Mm. And I've heard you reference that not only in the content that you're doing sometimes, just the ability to in this in this conversation about race in the workplace and for young professionals. But um, in, in light of that, because I've heard you make that comment before. Um, but also, you know, what's the encouragement today that you have for, and you've, you've given some really great, just practical applications. What's your encouragement for our audience that's listening for that are young professionals, mm -hmm. people of color in the first 10 years of career, and then also for, for white young professionals, you know, what's the encouragement there and any, you know, any key messages, especially as you think about that whole grassroots mentality? Yeah. I love that mentality because honestly, I think that's what it's going to take. I think as young professionals, um, really passionate about this work, authentically pursuing equity across all isms, just imagine the impact that that can have if we're all holding our employers accountable and taking specific roles to help realize that internally. And I mean, and if, if not to sound corny, but young professionals are the future of the ag industry yes. and ag is going to look totally different 10 plus years from now than it does today. And in order for it to be sustainable over time, sustaining over time, it needs everyone. It needs a um, diverse uh, diversity of race, ethnicity, culture, uh, thought, uh, gender, everything. So I don't, I hope that seems encouraging, but just, to not underestimate the power that you have as a young professional yeah. to hold your employees accountable to this work. It's so important. And I think too, Brianna, and you've seen this from organizations you're a part of, you know, so often you'll think about like, well, who shapes culture? You know, your leaders. Well, mm -hmm. Yes. And as much from when you lead from within the team that you're on and the direct mm -hmm. reports that you have and the interns you work with, like your sphere of influence um, not downplaying the leaders, the senior leaders of any organization, but man, there's a profound impact. Like you yeah. even reference, like not only were you working in your organization, you were working with other companies and organizations mm -hmm. and your field role. And so I just get so excited about this group because of that sphere of influence and yeah. heck yeah, this is the future. This is the future C-suite of every company. That's, listening that's to right. Them. I don't know for a fact, <laughs> but I'd like to think so. But um, no, you got me is, sold. Okay, good, good. Uh, well, this has just been just such a helpful conversation and, and even just sharing your own story. I mean, I, I think that going back to your comment about brave spaces, we need more story telling and sharing and friendships and networking mm -hmm. and mentoring. Um, I, as, uh, and we hadn't kind of originally talked about this, but you mentioned this a couple of times, and this is very much a part of even what we've talked about with Sharpen, but talk a little bit about mentorship and relationship building and how as young professionals, you know, you talk about 
how these are the future leaders, but how do you mentor, pursue relationships, and, and do that with impact to create a culture of diverse and inclusion, equity? What does that look like? Any encouragement to yeah. professionals? Really good question. I think if I look back as a young professional, I think the mentorship was always just kind of like this nebulous thing. And I never mm. wanted it to feel forced. And I, it just kind of felt weird to be formal and but keeping it over time mm. was always a struggle, but actually, and I'll, I'll have you, maybe you can include the link, but we, my partner, Dr. Jess and I just recently talked about that because she's special oh, and cool. she's done a lot of work on mentorship, but she okay. talks about encouraging organizations. I think it was like for that formal mentorship for women, for instance, increases their odds. And I'm not going to get the stat right. She has it in there, um, but significantly increases their success, their future success in the organization. So as awkward and weird as it, it sounds, having a formal mentorship is so important. Yeah. And, and I think too, that spans beyond just one mentor, but like kind of having your board of directors, I don't think I made that up. I think I've heard that somewhere, but of having, yeah. you know, expanding your network and areas that might not seem like you need that network, but could probably yield all kinds of learning and future connection. So just, just being intentional about that, I think is so important. And if I think about equity and inequality, and that's in our podcast, we talk about that, like the difference between them. So if we look at it through the lens of mentorship, so this is kind of a plug for future leaders of organizations and current leaders mm-hmm. is really be focused on former mentorships for women and people of color in your organization. Mm-hmm. That is what equity looks like. Mm-hmm. Equality would be everyone has a mentor. And I'm not saying that that, like, that is important that, you know, we have a mentor, but really to focus as a leader, do the women in my organization and do the people of color in my organization, do they have formal mentors? And I think as a collective that um, helps improve productivity and company Mm. culture tremendously, probably more than we, than um, we probably can imagine now. So did I answer your question? Yeah. I I got a little tangent, but. No, you just keep going on your tangent. No, that's so, that's such a good call out. And you know, for me, Brianna, I, you know, if I'm ever with college classes or high school classes and they're asking about mentorship, because it is that like, you know, what's a mentor? Is there one? Is there like, you know, you reference the personal board directors, but for me, such a learning as a young professional and is to pursue a group of people that are impacting the way I think about the industry or the marketplace or, and, and even, you know, my community and the list goes on that, that is a personal board of directors that is very diverse, right? Because yeah. I want to be a young professional that's shaped by people who think differently from me and who think really well about things. So yeah. Yeah, that's just a call out where, yeah, like it can be such a, oh, you just fall in these like pockets of people who are Mm -hmm. investing in you. And, you know, and then eventually you're like, well, they, they think like, look like, talk like me to a T that's actually probably like, I sometimes tell people, that's probably not a good thing because they're just going to validate everything you ever say. But no, I, I, that's so appreciate this. I want to check out that episode. And I think that for us as young professionals, we're in a space where, even if the mentorship program doesn't exist, like just be so mindful to pursue relationships, right. That are just diverse so that you are shaped and molded by people that are, that have a different framework from you. So yeah, that's a perfect takeaway on that. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for the time together. We always wrap up with our guests and we ask them two questions, two favors, if you will. And the first one is to make a shout out to, and you've done this throughout your episodes. You're just a shout out person to a person or a group of people that you just want to show appreciation to and gratitude to. This is corny. I could probably think of a better one, but this is a good one anyways. So skin 2020, since we're up, like, you know, getting close to the voting, uh, yes. the, the election. So skin 2020 has a ton of resources and, um, they talk about, and I can't remember, I'm not gonna be able to remember the stat, but just encouraging all millennials to vote in the upcoming election and how that will make such a difference. So no matter what party affiliation, but to get out and vote. So Skim 2020 has a campaign that they're running right now. So that would be my shout out to all organizations, Skim 2020 and and even others who are just encouraging people to get Mm. out and vote this upcoming election. Yes. I love it. I love it. Thank you. We'll have to include yeah. the, the link for that. So it, and Hey, okay. call out if you're listening to this podcast and you're not registered to vote, do that right now. Yes. Like I'm just, yes. Right yesterday. now. Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> right yes right absolutely. <laughs> well, we'd also love to hear from you a game changer. So this can be anything from, I've had people that are like sharing like these powerful like conversations I've had with people and I've also heard of food items, but it sent your path in like a different direction. It's been a game changer for you. So you can be as serious or as lighthearted as you like, but we'd love to hear something okay, that's been a game changer this. for you. Okay. So I don't mean to be uh, morbid here, but Ch- Chadwick Boseman. Ah, uh, yes. Rest in power, brother. Mm. But his, yeah. I mean, he played some outstanding roles, but his role in Black Panther. Mm-hmm really, I think just encouraged and like, yeah, inspired young black and brown children all over and just was a game changer in and of itself. And I often dream about what Wakanda would actually be like. So hashtag Wakanda forever. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Sharpen Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review. And of course, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Until next time.